welcome to Living Your Legacy. My name is Shauna Hamilton, and I am a senior strategist on the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner for exceptional families. We understand that our clients' needs extend beyond the purely financial. So we take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing their wealth for continuity. And part of this is working with our clients and their families to help them articulate and implement a legacy. We believe that legacy is built in everyday decisions, actions, and in achieving goals, philanthropy and otherwise. Through dialogue with our clients, we hope to inspire and guide them to explore their purpose and develop their legacy. So our guest today is Joe Blackstone, founder of Blackstone Consulting, Inc., which we will refer to as BCI for brevity, and co-founder of the J3 Foundation. And since Joe founded BCI in 1991, he has grown this Los Angeles-based business into a multi-million dollar service company in a variety of service sectors. Fast forward to 2011 when Joe felt a desire to create change in the communities around him. This led him to apply the skills he used to create and grow BCI to co-founding the J3 Foundation with his wife, Jamie Mon, where today J3 Foundation serves children and youth in the Los Angeles County Schools with literacy support. The foundation was initially created to fund charitable programs focused on child development. In 2018, J3's Cozy Reading Club began. The club is an after-school reading program that focuses on elevating the reading skills, reading confidence, reading habits, and increasing book access for fourth-grade students in underserved areas. Joe and Jamie have set out on a mission to provide what they believe every child should have, which is access and support to remain on track in school. Today, Joe will discuss how his philanthropic journey began and how he intends to continue building his legacy. Joe, welcome to UBS Living Your Legacy. Thanks so much, Shauna. It's a real pleasure to be here. We are so happy you're here. So let's start at the beginning. When did your philanthropy journey begin and and how? Well, I would have to say that it began by being an only kid in Chicago of a school teacher mom and a dad who was a a uh, serious sports addict and wanted to be the youth coach for everything that you did. And so I think that love of being around kids and helping kids was probably something that I was surrounded with at all times. So um, that would have been the beginning, but I think it really festered. Um, both my wife, Jamie, and I went to USC for college, and we both were involved in uh, a JEP reading program after college where we worked with first graders at some of the schools that were in the South, uh, Southland area or, or around the University of Southern California. And we just were giving back at that point in time. And so I think between that experience with reading with kids there, um, being a big brother and big brothers of greater LA and, and a lot of volunteer activity that we've done associated with the company BCI, um, that's kind of where I think a lot of uh, motivation came from a personal perspective and inspiration to, to go on a philanthropic journey. I love it. You you clearly have a strong generosity gene and hearing how really you and Jamie share that, that generosity in so many facets of your life is, is powerful. So building on that, what have, what have you learned from your philanthropic experience that you would share with maybe even maybe even your former self if you could go back? You know, what would you share for anyone interested in philanthropy, either new and just considering it or, or seasoned in the practice? I tend to think that there are two things that I've really learned from this. Um, one is that philanthropy needs to have heart with 
I'm going to call it a business plan or a business focus. And I'll go into a little bit more detail on that. And then I think the second thing is it's about the people and, and, and connecting with people and who you're helping and who you're serving and who you're doing it with. And so on that first one where I talked about heart and a business plan and a focus, I'm a, I'm a geek of a business guy. So I'm an engineering uh, undergrad with an MBA that started the business 30 plus years ago and functions in that business, which does, you know, food and janitorial and security, utilizing numbers, utilizing a lot of strategy. And I can't get that out of my blood. And so that part is how I think we've been somewhat successful in J3 Foundation is because we are, you know, very focused, very plan oriented, but that's the part that is essential to keep it going but the part that really makes it happen is the heart and so you know i think what i've learned from this is is i get far more joy out of hearing about a mom or a caregiver for one of our kids in fourth grade at our literacy program who is telling our director hey i was driving home yesterday and i almost cried because my child was reading in the back seat and he or she did not even want to touch a book before Day three cozy reading club. And that gives me more pleasure than winning a multi-million dollar contract uh, or anything else that I can do on the for-profit side of my life. And, uh, and I think that's where the heart part comes in. Um, and then the people side of it is that second thing I talked about, you know, it's, it's not only the people that we have at J3. So we have six full-time staff and we have about 10 or 12 site coordinators that work at the various schools that we work at. And then we employ about 60 different teachers at those different schools that we work at. And so, you know, there's this group of, you know, 60, 70 folks that are all out there, but we're aiding and helping 300 to almost 400 kids in their reading journey. And so that part of it from the people side is really critical to, um, to that experience that you describe. And, and I think that if you're going to be in philanthropy, um, you, you really, truly have to be able to get to the stage where the people side of it and the heart is, is where you're at. Oh, that's so great. So I, I want to just underline the, the heart as the engine that keeps the, the work going and keeps the joy and the motivation. I heard knowing your strengths, this business skill overlap, and smart staffing. That's a huge part uh, that we're often in conversation with clients about, too. So thank you for naming that, the, the people side, the smart staffing. Um, moving on, how have you found balance between your career and your philanthropy? Well, I really like to have a balance where I spend 90% of my time <laughs> on philanthropy and 10% on the business. But unfortunately, I, to pay for some of the philanthropy, the business side keeps going and it <laughs> never stops in some ways. Um, but, but I do love the balance. Um, it feels, you know, I, I guess the word I would say is it feels right um, that you're you know, in one moment, you're taking a call. You know, we do work with clients like uh, uh, we do clients like North of Grumman and Kaiser Permanente and Apple Computer. And so you could be on a long, in today's world, Zoom call for 90 minutes uh, and, and get off of that call. And then the next thing that you know is, is you're finding out if there's a new illustrated book that we want to get a hold of for all the fourth graders at this Compton school or whatever, et cetera, thing. And so I think it kind of balances you in a lot of ways between the career and the philanthropy. And then, you know, my goal is, is that I do want to flip the switch 
and get to the point where, you know, at some point there is a larger percentage of my personal time being spent on the philanthropy side and on the J3 Foundation. That sounds like a good aspiration, 90%. That's a good amount of your time. And do you do you anticipate that Jamie will spend that time with you? Uh, how, how involved is she with the foundation today? So when Jamie and I created the foundation in 2011, we had two ideas that we were going to do. Um, she's a licensed, uh, she has a uh, doctorate in psychology and she's a licensed therapist. And so she actually works in, and a big part of her practice is um, our, our kids. And she does uh, play therapy with them. And so she has that same gene of loving kids and things of that nature. So what we had originally thought we were going to do is to have a component that was a focus on literacy and a component that was based on her doctoral project, which was prevention of domestic violence in 10 to 13-year-old boys. And if you can get to 10 to 13-year-old boys who are subjected or in a household of domestic violence, if you don't get to them with the program, there's a 90% recidivism rate of them being a violent domestic violence provider or uh, offender. If you can get to them, you can flip that table significantly in terms of that number. And so that obviously will take her specific time because uh, yeah, that's a, a, a specific uh, skill set from a psychological perspective in terms of working on that. And so what we really did in 2018 is to say, let's get off the ground, get our programs going, and start it with the literacy side of what we're doing. And then at some point in time, what we want to do is to bring that portion in. You know, it probably will take uh, a situation where we need to be out of COVID or in a safer environment where um, being a mom to our 12-year-old daughter, Jeff, and that is, by the way, how we got J3, is Joe, Jamie, and our daughter, Jeff. And so J3 Foundation, um, when, when Jess is either older or when Jamie has more time, she's going to bring that piece in. She has been actively involved in J3 Foundation from the standpoint of cozy reading. Um, she has been a real, she was literally the co-chair along with uh, our, our program uh, coordinator, Bobby Boggs Miller, for two of our fundraisers that we had where we had about 500 attendees at an outdoor gathering in Malibu, California, and, and really raised funds, and most importantly, raised awareness about um, literacy. So, I mean, that's, that's really what we're trying to do, is we have a situation where, you know, so many kids, and we picked fourth grade as our target group for the schools that we work at. We work in about 18 different schools, serving about 350 kids right now. And those fourth graders, we pick them because essentially in fourth grade, literacy training or reading is stopped at the elementary level. We do it in kindergarten and first grade and second grade, and then we stop and we assume that you know how to do it. And there you are in fourth grade and you are behind and you're reading at second or third grade level. That's where our after school twice a week program really kicks in. And we did it also because in the private prison system, they track one number for whether or not they are going to build more prisons in 10 years. And that is the third grade literacy reading rate. And if that rate goes up, then they build more prisons because they know the probability of having those kids in the system is really high. And so what we're trying to do is to say, look, we're gonna to try to disrupt this. We're gonna basically create a situation where that fourth grader who you thought you were going to get is not going to be that kid. And the most important thing that we're gonna make sure we do is, is to get that kid book access. So we're going to get the kid a book in his or her hands 
multiple books. We're going to get them to love illustrated books, chapter books, books that are autobiographical with characters that are culturally relevant to them, meaning the same color, the same creed, LGBTQ, all of those types of things are the things that we're doing. And over the course of the last four years, we've been able to accumulate you know, 18 schools from a, one pilot in 2018, and we've accumulated over 2,500 culturally relevant books. So that's kind of where we're targeting and what we're trying to do. That's incredible. Uh, you've been so thoughtful in your approach, firstly from this being a, a true family foundation and involving uh, all members of the family in J3. And to your, your later points that uh, are so important, right, you are looking at data. You are making choices from data-informed models uh, and bringing that into the classroom or the after-school program, if you will. And, and kind of picking up on that, on this, the concept of data-informed philanthropy, if you will, let me ask you a question about, about impact. So in 2018, you set a goal for the J3 Foundation to serve 1,000 students within a 10-year period. And then we all know what's happened in the last couple of years due to the racial injustice and inequities widely seen and felt in 2020 and since. You've elevated that goal to reach those 1,000 students as quickly as possible. How are you thinking about that acceleration to serve more students in a shorter time frame? So I think for us, we kind of, Jamie and I had an aha moment uh, when George Floyd happened. Um, and it happened in two, in two completely different perspectives. Um, one was as an African-American male myself, uh, I, I just felt like the need was even more pressing than I had Im imagined. And so, you know, we kind of took it upon ourselves to say a thousand students in 10 years is not a goal that will get us to where we really need to get to. We need to do it in a faster pace. And we, and, and the second part of that was as a black owned business, we suddenly became very attractive to corporations in terms of the kind of dollars that they wanted to spend with organizations. And so we began to grow during the middle of a pandemic and, and primarily based upon our diverse background as a company and as, as business managers and things of that nature. And so um, we've been able to parlay the growth of the business to help with funding the J3 Foundation at a faster pace than what we anticipated we would be able to do. And so that's been a measurable impact to you know society and to our foundation in that sense. You know, the other thing I would say is we also were really successful. You know, we're an after-school program, and then you know when COVID hit, schools closed, and the first thing that they closed were after-school things because if we're going to get kids back in the classroom, we're definitely going to get them in for the school part, and we're going to basically do extra cleaning and do other things after school. So we were out of the classroom from March of 2020 until uh, September of 2021. And so we went to a virtual program and we continued our program at all the schools we were at. We retained almost all of the students that we had. In some cases, we were able to get devices into their hands if they weren't able to have those devices. And then what we also did to make sure that we did this was the, the secret sauce of those culturally relevant books, we created pop-up libraries. So what we did was is we would have a kid from Compton go to the Compton school district office and every 
third Saturday, they would bring us like three books that they had read and they would have gone online because we have an online library for our collection and pick three books that we would have already picked and put into a bag so that we could have a non-contact transfer of here's the three books you read, here's three new books to get. And I think what we learned, Shauna, from that was also it's, you know, everybody that's on listening to a podcast like this has books in their house. And we have to think about the fact that there are so many kids that have zero books in their house. You know, I grew up with encyclopedias in my house and every different types of novels and biographies and different things of that nature. And you could walk into some of these kids' houses that are in our program and they walk in and there's no books in the house. And so we are their library. And so we're basically making sure that we do that piece. We want to measure that piece. That's our goal is to get that piece. We think it's really tangible. I love that. I love that both the attention to access to books, this very simple fundamental uh, thing, if you will, and the attention to culturally relevant books. It's you're taking the time to understand your audience to increase that engagement. That is going to lead to that acceleration. Again, really thoughtful. Yeah, we we did. Um, oh, go ahead. It's always difficult because you um, like when we first started our pilot with one school and 15 kids. The first thing that our our new director, who's not the director now, but was our director then, and helped to really formulate our program, um, the first thing that Patty thought about was, we've got to have nourishment for these kids. You know, it's three o'clock in the afternoon; they're done with school, and if they don't have snacks between three and five, five thirty, when our program is going, we we lose these kids, and so and they don't have anything that you know is that. And so we made sure that in the early part of our pilot program that we added snack to it. And so you got to really think about what are the things that are critical to these kids. Now, as we've run the program and we have 18 schools, we insist that the school provides the snack because we just can't run to Costco and wherever, et cetera. We're not in the snack business. We're in the literacy <laughs> business. So um, that's what we ask them to do. They do that. Um, and we only ask them to do a few things. We ask them to provide us access to teachers so we can get teachers that we can pay to be a part of our program, that we can teach our program so that they can help the kids at their school. And then we need a facility when we are non-virtual. We need a facility or a classroom at their school, and we need them to provide the snack. And so, you know, that's the, the things that we need. And then and the only other thing that we need from the school is, is we need test results. So we need the test results at the beginning to figure out which kids should be in our program and then we want to be able to measure how successful the program was at the end of 30 weeks in that fourth grade year. And those are really good examples of uh, an evolving partnership, right? At first, you were, were thinking through the, the audience and providing snacks and then recognizing this isn't our core competency, but this is fundamental to the program. And uh, it just speaks to the learning journey, if you will, in starting a philanthropic endeavor, a charitable endeavor. You don't know everything at the beginning, but uh, it's, it's really that heart engine again and understanding people um, and that ultimate outcome that propel that partnership forward. So thank you for those examples. So one last question for you. What uh, is your and Jamie's plan for the future of the J3 Foundation and your role within it? I know you're hoping to give more, more time to it. Do you envision this foundation becoming your legacy? I, I really do. Um, so, you know, Jamie and I talk about this all the time, and we talk about what our role should be in it. And, and I think, you know, our role is, you know, uh, ultimate direction in terms of what we're trying to do. 
Uh, I think that our goal will be to expand to those thousand kids in Southern California and then expand to other portions of the country. You know, we would love to partner with some of the firms that we work with uh, on the BCI side. We would love to, like, for example, Kaiser Permanente is based in Oakland. They're extremely focused on total health and the, and the health of the community. And so we believe that there's an opportunity in the future for us to bring our program to Oakland. And so now we're essentially managing a program that's in multiple cities. And I think that both Jamie and I are saying that that's something that we really want to do. We want to be involved with. We want to direct. Uh, we want to fundraise for all of the things that are, are part of that piece. And I think that ultimately that does become your legacy. I was on a call with a, a coworker the other day. And uh, I said to the coworker, I said, you know, when that final day comes for me in terms of resting and, and passing away, I would like for my tombstone to not say that, you know, he made a lot of money or he did a lot of this or he did a lot of that. I would like it to be something as simple as he helped a lot of kids. And, uh, and so that would be a legacy that I would love. I've always said that for Jess, our 12-year-old, that I wouldn't, I don't intend to work until she's old enough to uh, to be uh, to take over a company. So she doesn't have that option. Uh, but at the same point in time, even if she did, I wouldn't instill that on her. But what I really would like her to do is to maintain and continue to grow J3, whether that's as a passive, you know, philanthropist or whether that's as an active philanthropist. I would like it to be something that 50 years from now we can talk about and say. You know, way back in 2018, they had one school of 15 kids, and then, then it kind of expanded during the middle of the pandemic to like 300 and up to 1,000 kids. And now they're in, you know, six states and or six cities, and they serve, you know, 10,000 kids every year. And it's a program that's, you know, nationally known and, and, and is making a difference in the lives of 10,000 kids every year. So that would be a wonderful thing to say is your legacy, and I would love for Jeff to basically be a part of that mix way down the road. Well, I hope she listens to this podcast, and that's that's a great goal. Joe, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It was powerful to hear how you've identified a need and have worked tirelessly to have a positive impact on these students' lives, you and Jamie, of course. Uh, I also want to thank our listeners for sharing in this journey with Joe today. Each month, we will be publishing a new episode on Living Your Legacy, which will explore inspiring stories like Joe's on how others have worked towards defining and contributing their legacies. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you so much, Shauna. I really appreciate the time. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific security Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. 
UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements it is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.